right, put your hands together. It's better than that. We were up in Big Bear over Christmas, and we came back the day after. And as we were driving down, I think there was about five miles of traffic going up. We waved to about 200 of our people on the way up. And uh, I know that they just now getting there. It was a nightmare. Are you kidding me? Why in the world would anyone go up the day after Christmas? Huh? Who knows, right? Hey, I want to tell you a story. We, were, we had our Christmas Eve service, and many of you were there uh, at that time, and it was a great time. We, we filled this up. We filled up the, the loading dock, and then we filled up the second service all over again. But one of the most significant things that happened uh, was what happened with single moms. Uh, if you were here, you know that we, we took an offering up for single moms with children at home. And we started this last year at Mother's Day. And we just wanted to bless single moms. We know, I believe they're what today, in today's society, is what the biblical mandate was for widows in the Old Testament. I really believe it. I, I believe there's just such an epidemic of it and that uh, they get overlooked an awful lot. And so we just decided to bless. And whether they attended our church, didn't attend our church, where we knew them, didn't know them, we asked them to come forward. We prayed for them. We blessed them. We took their name. And then we will send them a check based on the division of the number of people that came and the amount of money that came in. But what was significant was this. Uh, after the first service, a single mom came up to me. And she said, last uh, Mother's Day, when you blessed us, I was out of work was out of money. The only check I had was the one you sent me. And I really didn't know what I was going to do. She said, since that time, God has given me a job. God has blessed me. God's allowed me to live in the surplus. And she reached in her purse and she handed me an envelope with $500 in cash. And she said, I want to sew back in to the single moms. And I don't know about you, but I mean, I've told that story a couple of times already, but it just still kind of gives me goosebumps because the heart of what we did was replicated in her heart and she became a blessing. And that is the key. When you are blessed, you bless. And you may not feel blessed, but you are blessed. I, uh, I brought uh, a stop sign with me today. Okay, I'm, I want to hold it up. Everybody, what is it? Just read it. Stop. Oh, let's read it together. Stop. What does that mean? Stop. Let me ask again. What does that mean? Stop. It means stop. Now, it works really well in traffic, doesn't it? If you observe it. But it works really bad if this is what you see every time you think about what God is going to do in your life. You see, the problem is we live our life as if God was hold, were, were holding a stop sign. And every time we ask for a blessing, God was saying, stop, it's not for you. Every time we want to endeavor some great event for God, we put a stop sign up. We said, no, it's not for you. And in your head, you live with this. Maybe it's the, why not me, God, and you have the stop sign. Well, it's not for you, it's for somebody else. Why am I not healed? And you see a stop sign everywhere you go. Here's what I want you to do. Not in traffic, but I want you to do it in life. I want you to, when you see that stop sign in your head, I want you to say go. So we're going to practice. What does this sign say? Go. 
That's pretty good. Let's try it one more time. What does it say? No. Okay, now the rule is every time I hold it up during this sermon, you have to say what? No. You're pretty good. Now, if I, if I recondition you like, uh, you know, like Pavlov's dog and you start running stop signs, it's not my fault. All right? Okay. Gerald Brooks said this, most people only grow large enough to solve their problems, not to reach their potential. Most people only grow large enough to solve their problems and not reach their potential. You see, about 100% of your energy sometimes is focused on the problem instead of the solution. When you approach the word of God, God is always moving on the solution side and not the problem side. We want to get caught up in all the sin and all the disgrace and all the difficulty and all the discouragement we have in life, and God wants to move you over to the solution side. Let me show you what I can do with that. And when we spend our life focused on problems, we never get really to the solution because we've run out of emotional energy, we've run out of physical energy, we've run out of, uh, of, of spiritual energy, and we say, what's the hope? And so what we do is we find that stop sign in our life constantly working. Let me show you something. Your obstacles will reveal your destiny. I want you to take and think through the obstacles you've had in life. You see, those are all, whether they, you brought them on yourself, where they were imposed on you, or whether they were directed by God, all of those are revealers of your destiny. In other words, what I mean by that is, if you will look at what God is doing in your life, what you call a challenge, a setback, or a problem, what you will find is God carefully has crafted those, whether he is the direct cause or indirect cause of them, in order to bring you to a place of Christ's likeness, operating in the spirit instead of the flesh. You see, setbacks aren't intended to set us back. They're intended to push us forward. When you read the Word of God, it is a book about people with problems. Have you noticed that? But it is also a book about a God who has a solution. The people who stay in the problem world, they never really see the solution. They always find themselves in an oh me, what am I going to do situation instead of seeing what God can do. Remember this, that God's purpose will always be achieved. God will not be dismayed because you're unwilling. God will not stop his plan because you don't cooperate. God will not stop doing what God intends to do because the world is in chaos. That's not the way God works. Imagine if you're a man named Joshua and you're going to take over from Moses. Let me show you what Joshua saw every time he got ready to go. No, he didn't. He saw stop. Or did he see we're going to find out what he saw here, all right? Now, let's look in the Word of God. Joshua chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. Now, imagine, Joshua's watching. Joshua's been in the wilderness. He's walked in circles with all the Israelites. All he sees is stop signs. All he sees is headaches and going in circles and endless pursuit. And he watches this leader who has been trying to move people from Egypt into the promised land and who's unable to do it. In some ways, Moses failed because the goal was to get everybody into the promised land. But Moses couldn't get himself in the promised land. 
So now all of a sudden, God comes to him, and it says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun. See, I told you nuns were in the Bible. There they are right there, the son of Nun. Moses' assistant saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore, arise and go over this Jordan, you and all the people to the land which I am giving them, the children of Israel. I wonder if Joshua said, I've been hearing that all my life. For 40 years I've been hearing that's what we're going to do, and we've not done it. Some of you, when you see that passages like that and you say, yes, I've been waiting for God to do something all my life, but all I see is stop signs. I see promises, but they're not for me. I want you to know that God spoke to Joshua. God can speak to you. God can speak to you right now. In fact, many of you, he is speaking, and he's saying, you know, that's me. I've been watching the promises of God, but I've been seeing a stop sign instead of a go sign. I've been saying that's good for somebody else, but not good for me. So it says the Lord spoke to Joshua. How many of you need God to speak to you today? Would you just raise your hand? I need God to speak to me. Amen. All right, now let's watch it. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise and go to this Jordan. You see, he was going to show Joshua that he was going to be preeminent. He was going to be in first place in his life. You and all the people to the land that I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that is without limit that the sole of your foot will tread upon I have given you as I said to Moses. Do you see all the promises God said to Joshua? God, it's yours. I'm giving it to you. You don't have to work for it. You just have to be in partnership with me. There will be battles. There will be battles, but there will be victory if you will just follow what I'm doing. You see, God's victories are never create setbacks that are unable, you're unable to overcome because God's already made the promise. The provision always comes before the problem in your life. Every problem you have, God already has a provision before you even had the problem. You may not see it, you may not know it, you may not realize, you may not walk in it, but it's there nonetheless. In fact, without problems, you would never have a solution, Amen. Now think about it. No problems, then there is no solution. Life is a blah. It's just a blah. You need problems. You need difficulties. You need setbacks in order to achieve to the next level that God has for you because God is crafting you, shaping you, getting you ready for an eternal reign with him in eternity. Now think about that. How do you think he's going to get ready? Get you ready for it. It says even Jesus, even Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered that's prior to the cross. Life was not easy for Jesus until the cross. Life was difficult. He learned obedience through the things he suffered. Now read on with me. Verse 4. Uh, From the wilderness of this Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. Now look at this. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, what? Everybody's got to participate. This sermon will go on forever. 40 years of the wilderness, we're staying 40 days, all right? Okay, got it? So what does it say? Okay, you're going to go. He says, all right, no one's going to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so will I will be with you. You know what that is? My presence will be with you. Do you know the presence of God is always with you? You just don't recognize it? Do you realize his his presence can come in a fullness when we invite him? We begin to understand. We begin, our receptors begin to work a little bit better. He said, I'm not going to leave you and I'm not going to forsake you. 
Be strong and be of good courage. For to this people you shall divide an inheritance, the land which I swore to the fathers to give them. Only be strong and be very courageous, that you may observe to do all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from the right, do not turn to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. So God wants you to what? Prosper. You know what prosperity is? It's having something versus nothing. It's living in a margin. It's living in an abundance instead of uh, with, a, with a deficit. And God wants you to live in that prosperous moment where your health is good, where your life is good, where your friends are good, where there's, where there's a surrounding that just is marked by his presence all the time. You say, but does that mean I don't have problems? No, you'll have problems. But remember, you're going to see them different because you're always going to be on the solution side versus the problem side of life. We're going to show you how to do that in just a moment. That you may observe to do all which Moses, my servant, commanded you, that you may not turn from the left or the right. You may prosper wherever you go. The book of the law, the book of the law, the word of God shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous. There he says it again. Then you will have good success. There it is again. Have I not commanded you, be strong, be of good courage, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now let me put it like this. Your potential is greater than you think. We live with self-limitations imposed upon us by our upbringing, by society, by our circumstances, by our, the, the very life that we live. But what if you could look at your life through God's eyes? How much potential would God see? When you ask questions like, why does this happen to me? You ever ask that question? Of course you do. You're human. How about this question? Why did this person do this to me? Do you ask questions like that? When you ask questions like that, you are no longer in control of your life. You have given your life over to someone else. They control you emotionally. They may control you financially. They may control you in a dozen other ways, but you have given up control. Instead, ask yourself, how can I turn this situation around quickly and effectively? You see the solution? Why'd you do this to me? I'm a victim. But if I ask this question, how can I turn this situation around quickly and effectively? I'm back in control of my life. How about this question? How can I learn from this situation? Maybe God's trying to teach you something, but you're trying to find the easy way and you're going to thwart the purposes of God because you want the easy route instead of the hard route. Nothing significant is ever achieved by the easy route. Nothing in life. Check it out. Go back and look at your life, the times that you did the best in schools when you had the meanest teacher. Am I right? They were demanding on you. They required a lot of you. But what did you do? You pushed ahead. Maybe you did it for the wrong reason. You just wanted to get in and out. You didn't want to take it again. But you did it. The greatest riches in the world are hidden. Diamonds are not on the top of the surface of the ground. Gold is not in the sur on the surface of the ground. Oil is not flowing down rivers so that everyone can get it. You have to dig for it. You have to drill for it. You have to go deep to find the deep things of God. Doesn't it make sense if God's going to make you a deep person that he's going to have to drill and he's going to have to chisel and he's going to have to carve some things out of your life to get you looking like him? But you say, but I don't like pain. Who does? If you like pain, you're weird. Amen? 
But you see, but do you like the effect of pain? Do you like the idea that once God gets done with me, I am now more like God and I can take the next problem with a greater capacity? How about this one? What is the potential opportunity for me in this situation? You see, when we see the problems, we, we, we miss out on all these great questions. David Viscott said this, success falls more to the courageous than to those who understand and plan everything but cannot act. It falls more to the courageous. Somebody who steps on and says, we're going to do this. Instead of the person who says, yeah, but what if we fail or what if it doesn't work or, I, I, you know, I've tried that, it didn't work. When people say, well, I tried that and I didn't work, then I don't want to ask them a second question. Well, why did you just not try it again? Why did you give up? It was Edison that found on about the thousandth time of figuring out how to do the light bulb that he figured out how to make it work. What if he'd have given up early? Someone else would have got the credit. It still was going to happen. But he would have missed out on the opportunity to find his genius in that light bulb. Here's something you have to think about. Change the way that you think. Do you realize they've done a study on paradigms? That word paradigm appeared first in the 1950s. It appeared in the scientific community, and in the scientific community, what they found out was that when they were doing an experiment and they got a different result than what they expected, they said, what do we call that? And they said, it's a paradigm. So we have a paradigm shift. We thought our experiment would, would result in this, but it resulted in that. Now, what do we do with that? Well, sociologists began to study it. They began to look at it, began to look at human behavior, and they realized this. No one, no one has a paradigm shift without a crisis. You never shift your position from the way you're going and the way you're thinking unless there's a crisis in your life. You know what that means? That means every crisis is a good thing. Did you hear me? You don't like that, do you? Every crisis is a good thing. You just have to change your perspective on that crisis. Moses looks at his life, and he's going through this thing, and he says, I can't get there, I can't get there. He hands the baton to Joshua. Joshua has it, and he says, now what am I going to do with this? Be courageous. Be very courageous. Listen to what God's saying. And you know what the book of Joshua is all about? Conquest. Conquest. You know what the book of, of uh, Exodus is all about? Going in circles. Do you want to go in circles or do you want to go into conquest? You want to stay in the land of going in circles or do you want to go into the land of conquest? Do you want to get the land flowing with milk and honey or do you want to stay in the wilderness? You see, some people I really think like the wilderness. They like to tell you how bad life is. They like to one-up your stories when you say what bad things happen to you. They want, to, they want to tell you every medical detail known to human being, whether you want to hear it or not. Why? Because they love wilderness. They don't love solution. They love problem. So you got to change the way you think. Here's what you've got to do. Jot these down because these are going to be helpful to you. Number one, simplify everything. Took, look at your life and say, how can I make my life simpler? You have to free up some space in your head in order to function. You see, Joshua had to think about it like this. I've got one thing to do, and that is to go into the land. I've got to cross the Jordan. In fact, we only read through verse 9, but verse 10 says, he tells everybody, hey, get all your stuff together. We're going into the land. We're going to take the land. You're going to get the inheritance. He says, we're doing this. We're doing this thing, courageous act. We've got to simplify it. This is not about making every tribe happy. This is not about doing what everybody likes. This is not about camping. 
This is about conquest. This is about going in and taking something. What is it you need to take for God? What is it you need to take for yourself? What is it you need to take back that's been stolen by the enemy? Number two, energize, don't drain those around you. Energize, don't drain those around you. You see, some people are time bandits. Some people are just power suckers. Don't be a time bandit or a power sucker. Ask yourself, how can I move forward in a powerful way? Joshua, uh, all of a sudden, he finds himself there on the river, and this angel, this angel of the Lord, this warrior of God appears. And he says to this warrior, this angelic being, he said, are you on our side or theirs? And he says, I'm on the Lord's side. He said, I didn't come to take sides. I came to take over. You see, you might be looking and say, well, my side says this. My side says that. God is not interested in sides. God just wants to take over your life. Because only when he takes over your life can you move forward and be, a, and, and be in the middle of that conquest instead of going in circles. Number three, act decisively. Act decisively. Get the best information you can. Do what God says to do. Walk in the word of God. Meditate on the word of God. See what God's up to. And then you act decisively. Aristotle put it like this. We are what we repeatedly do. We are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, then, is not an act, but a habit. You want to be excellent at something? It's a habit. Nobody is born skilled. You ever watch the Summer Olympics? See the guy through the shot put? I threw the shot put in high school. I was terribly bad. The girls were better than I was. All right? That's not, that's not saying something bad about the girls. I'm just telling you, I was not very good at it. And then I'd watch the Summer Olympics, and I'd watch this guy get out there. He didn't even look like he was in shape. He got out there, and he'd throw that, that shot put like three times further than I was throwing it. And I was throwing a lighter one. I thought, how'd he do that? And I was watching, and then they interviewed one of these guys. He said, well, tell us about your routine. Well, you know, I throw the shot put about eight hours a day. And then when I'm done, I, I work out. And then I do this and do this and this. Then I watch tapes and I do this. And I go, okay, 14 hours a day watching a guy through a shot put, throwing a shot put and working out. I could probably be better at it. What was the difference? What was the deficit? I didn't care if I threw a shot put very far. Let me ask you something. What do you really care about? Are you willing to put the time into it and the effort into it? You see, do you really, you say, I have people say to me all the time, I wish I knew the word of God like you do. And I say to myself, I wish I knew the word of God better. But let me tell you something. We are where we are in our understanding of the word of God by choice. You know as much of the Bible as you want to. It's there. Open it up. Read it. Study it. You think it's just going to be osmosis. You're going to lay there in the middle of the night and all of a sudden you're going to wake up and go, dang, I know the whole word of God. I can teach every chapter. I know all the understanding of it. I wish that were so. But what do you really want in life? Remember, what we repeatedly do we are what we are repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act, but a habit. Look at your habits, and I'll show you where you're excellent at. You say, well, I'm really good at clicking on the couch. I can get the controller. I'm one of the best in the land. You probably are. You probably are. Not going to get a lot of awards, but you know, I appreciate a good guy with a clicker. Sometimes when I'm clicking, my wife says, give me that. I said, you don't know what you're doing. I am skilled at this art. 
In fact, my last, my very last thoughts some nights are, should I order the Ginsu knives? <laughs> I wonder if that really works. Let me show you something you can do. Sign up for biblical discipleship. Our school of ministry launched in June. Already we have over 180 people enrolled in our school of ministry. This next one on kingdom discipleship, I believe, is a key and foundational for every person. Sign up today and say, I want to be a part. I want to learn the word of God. I really do mean when I say I want to learn the word of God, then this is a way you can do that. Now let's move on. Live on the solution side of life. Live on the solution side of life. What does that mean? Spend 80% of your time on the solution and 20% on the problem. You know what Joshua did? He didn't sit around thinking of how big and bad are the Amorites and the Hittites. He didn't spend his time thinking about how Moses didn't get in the land. He didn't worry about all the problems and all the grumbling and all the griping. If you read it, he is on a mission. It is conquest all the way. You know what he did? He didn't disregard the problems, but he focused his attention on the solution side of life. 80% of your life should be on the solution. How do I solve this? How do I do this? How do I do that? Instead of, oh, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I don't know what I'm going to do. Quit whining, move forward. It's what God said to Moses. He, got, he brings Moses up to the, to the Red Sea, and, he, and the people begin to grumble. They begin to gripe. What are we going to do? They're whining. They're, they, you know, they've been living in this, this already this path of grumbling. And he goes to God, God, what am I going to do? You know what he says? Quit crying, Moses. Tell the people to go forward. Do you realize the Red Sea didn't part until they stepped forward into it? Do you know your problems will not go away until you step into them? Do you take control of those situations in your life until you say yes to the solution and say no to the problem? So you've got to spend 80% of your time on the solution, 20% on the problem. You see, we need difficulty in order to grow. Anybody ever go to the gym? Raise your hand. Some of you haven't been in a long time like me, right? But you ever go to the gym? You ever noticed how the guys that really lift weights, and we've got some bodybuilders in our, in our church. We've got some guys that have won big titles. But have you ever noticed how the guys that lift a lot of weights, they're always trying to put more weight on? More weight on. Put another 20 on that. Uh, two more 45s, please. You know, and you're over there going, seriously, dude, when, what's the application for this? You know, you get at home, you know, hey, we need to check and clean under the, the, uh, you know, the refrigerator. I can take care of that. Don't worry about it. Let me lift that refrigerator up for you. Now, that could come in handy. But why is it they want to put more weight on? Because if they don't continue to increase, their muscles hit a plateau, and they get muscle memory, and they can't go beyond. You see, some of us have vocational memory. We can't go any further than we are. It's not because there's not opportunity. It's because there's not habit. There's not courage. There's not a drive to move forward in life. You've got to have that in you. You've got to be a part of it. And, and you, you begin to see when you start acting in the, in the work of God, God begins to bring miracles into your life. We had another miracle in our congregation just last week. Some of you heard about it at Christmas Eve service. But uh, I got a call from a lady in our church, and she said, Pastor, would you pray for me? I have to have surgery in both eyes. Um, because of a, a retina problem, and there's a chance I could be completely blind. And I said, well, let's just pray. Let's send it to the prayer team, and you come on Sunday. We're going to pray for you. So we prayed for her. She was going to have surgery the day before Christmas Eve. She went into the doctor. 
The doctor looked at her eyes, examined her eyes, and said to her, you're not going to have the surgery. He said, I cannot explain it, but your eyes are healing themselves. She said, I can explain it. My church and my God has, my church has been praying and my God is the healer God. Amen? You see, God wants to do some great things in your life. You may remember some time back I told a story. I was up at Bethel at the School of Healing up there and, and uh, on Monday night and Tammy was coming in Tuesday and I was there by myself and, and uh, you know, standing there acting like I had it all together and kind of in the back, you know, like some of you do, get in the back in case the sermon goes south. I've got to get out of here quick. But, um, but I'm sitting in the back there and the guy got all done with the, uh, with the talk. It's got a guy named Chris Gore uh, from Bethel. He's head of the School of Ministry of Healing there. And by the way, he's going to be with us in May in our church. So we're excited about that. Uh, for three days, he's going to be here Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, be a part of our School of Ministry. But he's standing there and he said, I want all of you to see a miracle before you leave. Um, how many of you have floaties in your eyes? Now, floaties in your eyes is, is you know, just a characteristic where the fluid in there will kind of sometimes become disengaged and, or get a little heavy, and then you'll see like little worms moving around inside your eyes. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, I have those, but I don't have them very bad. You ever had that? You know, I don't need a miracle. I don't have it very bad. I can handle it. You ever had that? I mean, do you ever have that spiritual arrogancy? I don't really need God to show up on the little things. I can handle those. I'll let God just come to God when I need the big things. That's kind of a guy thing. I don't need the doctor, right? Okay, you, do you understand what I'm talking about? All right, then act like it, all right? Don't look at me like that, like you're looking like a calf like at a new gate. Look, look at me like you know what I'm talking about, all right? All right, I just got to get you fired up again. I see her. Oh, that's better. You guys are coming on strong. I love it. Okay. So I go there, and I'm standing there, and, and they said, hey, if you have floaties in your eyes, stand up. We want to pray for you. And I'm sitting back there thinking, I can handle my floaties. Guy in front of me stands up, and he says, uh, I'm thinking to myself, this guy's got him bad, that poor guy. And then he said this. Well, I, I thought he said, if someone around you is, is standing up, then stand up and put your hand on and pray for him. That's not what he said. Now, you, some of you heard this story, but you haven't heard the next chapter. Okay, I'm going to give you the next chapter here. So um, I'm standing there, and I stand up like I'm super spiritual, no floaty guy, and I'm standing here like this, extending my hand like, you know, I'm, I'm power of God's coming through my fingertips. I'm seeing, you know, I'm starting to vibrate. I'm seeing God work, right? Amen? And this girl comes up to me. She says, can I pray for your floaties? And I go, what? <laughs> yeah, everybody's standing up. Pray for the floaties. What he did say was, if you're on the prayer team, go to someone who's standing up and pray for them. So I wasn't listening, and God, God got me in a pincer move. God got me and caught me there in the corner and said, we're going to take care of you. We're going to do something here. I, she said, can I pray for you? And I thought, yeah, that'll be great. I did. That's what I said. I said, that'll be great. What, do you think I'm always spiritual? Seriously, that'll be great. So I closed my eyes, and so this girl about 20 years old, she's praying for me. And he says, uh, oh, and he says now, now, a lot of you think that this is all about my faith because I'm leading this prayer team, but, uh, this healing ministry at Bethel. But here's what I want you to do. Uh, and he looked down, and he pointed at a boy who's about 10 years old. He says, Sir, uh, son, would you come up here? He comes up, and this kid's looking like, why am I on stage and a thousand people here? And uh, he said, I want you to pray for these people's floaties. And the kid goes, what are floaties? He says, you don't need to know. Just pray for them. Pray for them to be healed. Here's what the kid does. Here's how he prayed. Are you ready? Floaties, be gone. I'm sitting there thinking, seriously? 
Couldn't you have said a thou or a thee in there? <laughs> Couldn't you have got a little deep with that? Floaties, be gone. And then the guy says, okay, now open up your eyes. And I open up my eyes and I'm going, dang, there's no floaties. Now what do I do? Oh, it's just psychological. And every morning I'd get up and I'd look around for floaties. I'm looking for floaties. I'm looking for floaties, right? And they went away. Now that's chapter one. Now I'm going to read chapter two. Chapter two is last week I went to my eye doctor for my exam. I let him get all done with my eyes. He says, you know, your eyes haven't changed. You're in great, great shape. And uh, I said, hey, doc, you remember a couple of years ago when um, I talked to you about those floaties and you took the pictures and you had all the pictures of the floaties in it? And, and he said, yeah, I remember that. And I said, well, let me tell you what happened um, at Bethel. And I told him, the, I recounted the story, told him all about it. And he's listening, you know, just kind of like, and you can tell he's just so curious he can't stand it. He says, sit back down. I said, what? Sit back down. He gets a little microscope. He's looking at my eyes. And I'm sitting there. And right then I had this moment like, oh, man, what, what if they're there? <laughs> I did. You ever, you ever have the fight of faith? What if they're there? I said, God, look, you did it. You know, whatever he finds, he finds. Goes in the one eye and he goes, well, there's none there. Pushes the machine over to the other eye. He looks in there and goes, none there. He's still not, he still doesn't believe. He pulls up the pictures that he took a couple years ago. He shows them to me. He says, see all those right there? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, they're not in your eyes. <laughs> Chapter two, God confirmed the healing with a, medic, with a medical doctor and showed me God was sufficient. Amen? Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Focus on where you want to go. Here's the next truth. Focus on where you want to go. Have you ever heard of an elephant steak? When elephants are really small, they take a very small stake, they put a chain uh, to that stake, and then they, the little elephant, because they have this great memory, what they do is they learn, even after they get big and strong and they can pull that stake out very easily, they don't even try. Because they've been conditioned as a little elephant, and they, they pull on it and they go, I can't get out, I can't get loose, and then they keep the same size stake for the big elephant. So, uh, as we begin to think about this, this guy named Viak Paul did some research on the elephant stake and the elephant and why they do that. And here's his conclusion. Once he, that is the elephant, accepts the limitation imposed on him, it becomes a permanent belief. Once you accept the limitation, it becomes a permanent belief of, in his case, a conditioned reaction. They don't even try anymore. They stay staked to the ground. They can go this far and no farther. All they see is a stop sign. They don't see a what? They don't see it anymore. All they see is what I can't do instead of what I can do. All they see is limitations. If Joshua would have had that mindset... He never would have taken Israel into the promised land. Had, had Joshua had that understanding and, and had that chain, he says, you know, guys, it's no use. Moses was a greater leader than I am. He, he was, if he couldn't get us in, I can't get us in. Let's just stay on this side of the river. Let's set up camp. Let's try to do the best we can, fight off our enemies. Let's get water from the Jordan, but let's not even try to cross it. I really believe some of you are staked to the ground. You've let this world, you've let circumstances, you let difficulty. Instead of looking at the opportunity, you always see the problem. You are, you're focused on the problem, not on the solution. 
When you start focusing on the solution and the solution only, you will find out that problems begin to fall everywhere around you. I want you to stand with me. I want to, I want you to share, I want to share with you a declaration of victory that I wrote last night. I was thinking about how to bring this message to a conclusion, and, and I think God just gave me this declaration. We're going to say this together. My victory in life is found in Christ. He is my rock. He is my foundation. You got to say it like you mean it. He is my rock. He is my foundation. Every step of my life is marked by his guidance and purpose. No weapon formed against me will prevail. As a child of the living God, I will rise. I will rise. I will rise. Say it like you mean it. I will rise to new heights. By the power of his spirit, this year will be my greatest year. This year will be my greatest year. This day will bring me newfound favor. This day will bring me newfound favor. This moment, I am in the presence of the Lord. His presence brings me guidance, strength, and wisdom. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we pray, we ask for your spirit right now to take this declaration of victory, seal it in every heart. Let every person who's focused in on the negative, on the problem, on the difficulty. God, let them be focused on the solution right now. God, don't let them be like Moses who wandered for 40 years, a great man of God, a humble man of God. That was God's calling on his life. But let them be a Joshua. Let them not go in circles, God, but let us go into conquest. Let us take the land. Let us conquer the enemies. Let us see uh, the, the potential and the new opportunities we have. Take the difficulties we have and say, God, you put a setback in my life for a reason. You wanted me to reexamine my calling. You wanted me to reexamine my vocation. You wanted me to reexamine my, my commitment to you and to your word. God, I am going to, to see you do the greatest things you've ever done in 2015 in my life. One of the great things God can do if you don't know him as Savior is to come into your life and be your king. That's as simple as asking, you know. We're not saved by being good or good works. We're saved by his grace as we put our faith in Jesus. If you've never put your faith in Christ, would you do it right now? You might pray a simple prayer like this one. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Save me. Give me the gift of eternity, of eternal life. In Jesus' name. You're a believer and you've resonated with some part of this message today. Something inside of you stirred up something fresh and new. And you want to recommit yourself to God for this upcoming year. You want to live your life in a more powerful way. 
You want to live your life on the solution side of things more than the problem side of things. You want to say yes to God and say no to everything else. Because you want to see what God can do in you and through you in 2015. Would you take your gifts, your spiritual gifts, would you use them? Would you say, here they are, God, I give them to you. Would you take your financial gifts and would you say, here they are, God, I'm going to give them to you. Would you take your job and your friends and your circumstances and say, God, I'm giving them to you. I'm going on a conquest. 2015 is conquest for me.